what do you think has been the best thing to come out of this whole experience of COVID-19? What's been the biggest plus or the biggest win of this entire pandemic? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there's been nothing good to come out of COVID-19. And I get it. This global pandemic has been terrible on many fronts. So many lives affected through job losses, income insecurity, family pressures. And that's before we even start talking about the actual human death toll and loss because of physical effects of the virus. Added to this, we began the year with bushfires, there's been other catastrophes, and now this, the novel coronavirus, has affected us negatively in many ways. And yet... If I ask you to think about the original question again, I think we could stretch ourselves to see some positives, to see some good things that have come out of this whole experience as well. Some of us would say that uh, there's been more time to spend with family. Less nights out, more nights in has meant that some families have reconnected in ways that would not have been possible before. Others might say that their daily commute has been reduced or even disappeared altogether with more and more people working from home. There's been a flow-on effect of less traffic on the environment with many cities reporting lower pollution levels. Some would even say their daily hour of exercise or outdoor time has been a helpful structure in their week and they're healthier now than they were at the beginning of March this year. But for me, there's been one thing that's come into my life that's really trumped them all. One thing that, um, while I used it before, has gone to a whole new level and made my life so much better than before the pandemic. I wonder if you can guess what it is. It's two words, home delivery. (laughs) That's right, home delivery services. You have the apps on your phone and so do I. Uber Eats, Menulog, eBay, Amazon, Deliveroo. Home delivery services during this time have boomed with Australia Post recording some of their busiest days in history over the last few weeks and months. For me, there's been some small comfort in a time and space where I've been constricted to a five-kilometre radius around my home, in a time when I can't go out except for essential reasons, to have somebody in a mask come to my door with that box of pizza or that bubble-wrapped parcel or that book I've been waiting on. That's an experience that'll stay with me long after the pandemic's over because when you're confined to home or in some ways, this might sound a bit dramatic, when you're under house arrest and exile in your own suburb, to have somebody come to to you to bring you the goods and the things that you could not otherwise obtain. It is a comfort. It's a blessing. And in a way, it's a move towards connection. Of course, this is nothing new. We've been accessing home delivery services probably as long as there have been homes. I remember as a young boy hearing the milkman arrive on our street and hearing the clink of the glass bottles with the foil lids right on our doorstep. It was only a couple of hundred years ago where the the dunny men would roam around the back alleyways of cities around Australia taking away buckets of human waste. Isn't that gross? A few hundred years before that, during the, the, uh, the Industrial Revolution in Europe, when alarm clocks were neither cheap nor reliable, you would hire a knocker upper to knock on your windows and wake you for work. Kind of like an olden day wake up call. We even have records in the Bible of a home delivery service when a church in a city uh, called Philippi sent goods and gifts to the Apostle Paul who was under house arrest in literal social isolation through a messenger by the name of Epaphroditus. So home delivery is not new, but it is novel. And if you've ever had a pen pal or received something long awaited in the mail or ordered a pizza, you'll know the comfort of something arriving to you that you could not otherwise go out for. It's a comfort because it's creating a connection. 
a connection with the outside world, a connection with others, a connection with the system, with a world far beyond us. And in a way, perhaps this is why this time of isolation has been so unnerving. Perhaps this time of exile, as as I've described it, has been so disquieting to us. We've been isolated from our friends and family, cut off from the world around us, unable to access the usual services, schooling, significant events that would usually be within reach. And maybe, just maybe the isolation we're experiencing on the outside, the isolation we're experiencing physically is actually reflecting the state of our internal reality. To say it in another way, perhaps the exile we feel socially right now, the distance we feel, is a mirror of the exile or distance we feel emotionally and maybe even spiritually at the moment. You and I both know how isolation feels on the inside. Perhaps you feel like an exile at work. You know, there's an, there's an in crowd, there's a group of people who are in the know and you feel on the outside of that group looking in. Perhaps you feel like an exile in your own family. You know, everyone else is love and hugs, but you're the black sheep. Or, or perhaps something's happened to you, an accident, an illness, something outside of your control that's left you feeling awash, adrift or at sea inside your own heart. Maybe even spiritually in relationship to God, you feel disconnected, deprived or distant. Well, if you've ever felt those things or if you're feeling them right now, today's message is for you. If the isolation we're experiencing under COVID-19 somehow reflects or reminds us of the isolation we feel on the inside, you know, you're not alone because the Bible records many, many instances where God speaks to people who were lonely, isolated, exiled, or lost. In fact, today's passage of Scripture that we will read together in this moment speaks to people exactly in this situation. I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and verses 1 to 5. And we're going to discover together that God has a word for those who feel isolated and exiled, those who might be socially distanced, but also spiritually distanced as well. Let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 5 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, you might be asking yourself, how does this passage speak to those who are isolated? Well, let me explain to you the context of this passage. This morning, the Israelite people are a group of people who know what it is to live in relationship to God. He chose them to be his people. He loved them. He called them to love him in return. He invited them to live in a covenant relationship with him, a relationship of faith and love that would bring blessing and life to their lives and enable them to live out their calling as a people who would love and serve others and be a light to the nations around them. Their call under God was to be an example of what life could be like for a community of people in communion with God. 
But Israel, like so many times throughout their dotted history, had rebelled against God and now found themselves exiled, taken captive by the foreign nation of Babylon, their evil rulers and false gods that they worshipped. So at the time of this passage, which is around 580 BC, the people of Israel are experiencing an isolation, an exile as they are separated from each other, separated from their land and their customs, and therefore exiled from God. It is into this exile that God speaks to them from the passage in Isaiah 40. So how does a piece of writing that was penned over 2,500 years ago reach us in our situation now? Well, in those days, God spoke through people called prophets, men and women who spoke to God on behalf of people and spoke to people on behalf of God. There was one particular prophet in these days by the name of Isaiah who wrote many writings to the people that spanned many years and spoke into the life of Israel over quite a turbulent time in their history as a people. They were an interesting bunch, these prophets. They weren't rich, high-flying executives with big salaries and lots of celebrity status. They were often maligned, despised, and rejected themselves. They wore basic, humble clothing and ate basic, humble foods. Isaiah himself, even though educated at the highest level of the day, was able to speak with royalty, most often spent his time speaking to the everyman, the average, ordinary Israelite woman or man, encouraging them to follow God. He was not in it for the glory. He often went without the basics to carry his message. He even named his children after the messages that God would give him for the people. His first son, Shir Jashab, means a remnant shall return. And his second son, get this, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, means quickly to plunder, quickly to loot, and was a message of judgment for the people under God. That is quite a name. And so into this public exile of God's chosen people, the humble prophet speaks God's words of comfort and hope. To a stricken people, Isaiah offers an eternal and an alternative reality to the one they're facing and that one that could be accessed by faith in God and love for his ways. He comes to them with more than words. He comes to them with an offer of life itself. And the passage begins, the first words of this passage are repeated, comfort, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. After all this talk of Isaiah, we should expect that these words are his, but scholars tell us that these words are actually God's words. He speaks from heaven to the assembly of angels gathered around him. Imagine God, a good God, full of love, joy, and peace, surrounded by hosts of angels on his right hand and on his left, the very nerve center of the universe. And from here, God sees his people are in exile. He sees them lost, isolated, and wandering due to their rebellion. His first words he wants them to hear are words of comfort. And here it is repeated for emphasis. God really wants to get this through to them. Comfort my people, says God. And he repeats the words like like we do for emphasis because he really wants to get this point across. He speaks tenderly, says speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And right here, the word picture with this Hebrew phrase is of a mother speaking to her wayward child. 
A mother speaking tenderly to a child as she tries to win them back. Literally, these verses mean speak to the heart. It's as though she's saying, come back to us. Come back and join us at the table. The child has tears in his eyes facing the wall, but the mother is kind, speaking tenderly to the young one, beckoning him to come home, come back to the family. This is how God is speaking to his people in this passage. And this is how he speaks to us. Will you allow God to speak to your heart today? God has come to bring you comfort, not condemnation. He's come to speak tenderly to you, not to be harsh with you. He's come with kind intentions, so much so that he wants all of heaven to hear it. All of heaven must hear him declare comfort over his exiles, both then and now. How can he do this? He says that their warfare is ended, their iniquity has been pardoned, and they've received double from his hand for the the payment for their sins. He's coming to you in comfort today, not in condemnation. Can you risk to believe that? The passage of Scripture continues, and now as we've heard God speak, it's time that we hear from Isaiah himself. But no, the next voice we hear is one of the angels responding to God's voice of comfort. An angel raises their voice and issues a decree. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the desert, make a highway for our God. Now, this idea of wilderness or desert, we might understand in Australia better as outback or bushland. But for the ancient Israelite in Bible times, these words wilderness or desert had one main story attached to them. One main idea connected to this phrase. Can you think of what that might be? Well, the Exodus was a great and climactic and central story of Israel's history up until that point. The story of how God rescued Moses from the river so that Moses could rescue the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. How Moses led the people toward the promised land, but not before 40 years of worship and service in the wilderness. The desert places had a major part to play in Israel's Israel's history, so much so that the wilderness was more than just a backdrop for the story. It was almost a character within the story itself. When the angel speaks of wilderness and speaks of preparing a new way, the Israelites would have understood this as God's invitation to a second exodus. That is a promise from God that as he's rescued them from Egypt before, he would rescue them from Babylon now. It was a promise of his goodness and unswerving righteousness that in the faithfulness he showed them in their history would be reignited in the flame of the present. I want you to think about your life and think about the way that God's been good to you. The stories you have about his faithfulness, the way he came through for you time and time again, the relationships restored, the brokenness healed, the friendships found, the provision received, the redemption of heart and mind and salvation eternal. Now, I want to encourage you today. God is going to do it again. His heart towards you has not changed. His character hasn't changed. His way with you hasn't shifted one little bit. He's shown himself faithful in the past and he's going to do it again. This might not be a second chance, but a third, a fourth, a 500th chance. It doesn't, it doesn't matter when God speaks of a way in the wilderness to the Israelites. It means hope for them and means life for us. Let your life speak of the faithfulness of God, not just in the past, not just anticipated in the future, but right now, today, in this moment. There's just one problem with the wilderness. 
one problem with the desert. You see, the outback is no fun. It's it's hot, it's sticky, bushland is uncultivated, it harbours insects, dangerous animals, it's hard to find water and food is scarce. And yet it's here that God wants to make a way through. Israel was used to meeting God uh, in the temple, meeting them in a tabernacle, a designated, clean, inspiring meeting place. But here God is declaring through the voice of an angel that they are going to see him at work in the hard places, the dry places, the desert places. They are going to see him at work in the wilderness. Now, we don't like this. We generally like to see a God to see us in our places of goodness, our places of peace, our places of joy, our places of righteousness, our happy places. I don't want to see God going through my dirty laundry. I don't want God carrying away my bucket down some alleyway. I don't want him waking me up in the morning, seeing me with sleep in my eyes and hair all messy. But this is the place where God wants to meet you in the outback of our lives, the dirt, the danger, the desolation. He's not interested in meeting me in my glory or the things I'm proud of or in the presentable parts of me. He wants to meet us in our brokenness because that's the place in us he's come to redeem. Will you allow God to meet you in the wilderness places of your life, the hard and broken places, the disappointments, the failures, the confusion, the darkness, the things you're ashamed of? Because if this passage is clear and God wants to meet us in the wilderness, that means we can come to him with everything on the table, nothing left behind, nothing left aside. He wants you, all of you. I've had uh, many different jobs in my life uh, before being a church pastor and, and leading at Discovery alongside my wife, Jody. I've, I've been a nurse, a musician, a motorcycle salesman, and a laborer for a landscaping company. The thing I loved about laboring and working outside was a sense of satisfaction it created by working with your hands. Digging trenches, filling in holes, planting trees, watering plants. And this passage of scripture now moves to a landscaping theme here when the angel declares a preparing of the way through the wilderness, announcing that rough ground will be made level, crooked paths made straight, valleys filled in and smoothed over. You see, in Bible times, when a king or queen or a royal emissary would make a trip between two places, they would first send out scouts to see the land in which the royal parade would have to travel. Then they would send out teams of workers to clear a straight path for that king or queen so that the path would be unobstructed and the journey would be as quick as possible. Can you imagine the amount of work involved in preparing the way for a royal visit, especially when it required the removal of mountains and filling in of valleys? After the journey was complete, that newly formed route would then be maintained in honour of that king or queen or royal person. It would then stand as a kind of memorial to that person's greatness, a memorial to their glory. In 2020, we would say it like this, roll out the red carpet. And this is how God wants to meet with you in your life, to roll out the red carpet for him in your life. That would then stand as a lasting legacy, a memorial, an altar to his greatness and glory in your life. Our lives should prepare his way, not our own. When the scripture says the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people together will see it, the focus here is not on earthly blessings for people, but on the greatness of God. God and the strength of his love. Did you know that he's designed your life to display his glory? His mission in reaching you, in coming to you, is that, that this prepared way would 
in your life would result in his story being told through your life so that people can see the glory of God. COVID-19 has been a terrible thing. Exile is real. The isolation is real. The social and emotional distance is real. But through it all, there is one thing that has not changed and perhaps one thing that we can rejoice in, and that is that we can know a God who comes to us. We can serve a God who's gone to great lengths to move towards us despite the obstacles, despite the valleys, despite the mountains in the way. He will stop at nothing to get to you. And when the red carpet has been rolled out in your life, God will come and make his glory known in you. You see, the primary narrative of the world and of the modern age is to work harder, strive more, push further, build a bridge out of exile, do it yourself. COVID has shown us that there are just some things you can't build a bridge out of. That if you want something, you have to wait for it to come to you. I'm grateful that to God that we can know true life and strength through a God who came to Israel in their exile and who will most certainly come to us in our isolation too. As a teenager, I spent years trying to clean myself up and get myself out of exile. Words of condemnation filled my heart and my mind. But what I needed to hear was the words of Jesus, which were words of comfort while he moved toward me to make a way in the wilderness and streams in my wasteland, to see my wilderness and to be in my wasteland with me. The only way that God can transform your wilderness is to be there in it with you. We can know Jesus, the God who comes to us. Stop building bridges to try and get out of your own exile and allow God to come to you. Exiles would expect that they would be the ones to go, but God is coming to you. He's coming into your isolation. We say, get me out of here, but God says, I'm coming to you. The world says, get yourself out of this mess, but God says, I will get you out because God specializes in home delivery. So there's one problem with this whole message and with home delivery. One thing that will stop us from making that order, from clicking um, send, one, the one question is, well, who's going to pay? I mean, I love getting home delivery. I love receiving that meal or that item at the door, but I don't always love the price that I've had to pay to get there. Who's going to pay the price for God to come to us? The passage from Isaiah 40 explained that Israel's warfare had ended, their iniquity had been pardoned, and then it said something strange. They've received from the Lord's hand double for all of their sins. And I thought, well, what? that doesn't sound right. Israel had to pay double. It sounded strange to me until I read from the book of Exodus, from the law of Moses. Then Exodus 22 verse 4 says, If the stolen beast is found alive, Whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, the thief must pay double. Exodus 22.7 says, If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and if it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. And then Exodus 22 verse 9, For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox or a donkey or a sheep or a cloak or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says, This is it. The case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. So it checks out. Israel's sin had required a payment of double. So who's going to pay double in our lives for God to come to us? And then we read John 1. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glorious truth of the gospel is that we do not have to pay at all. In Jesus, the Son of God, in his death and resurrection, he has made full payment for us on our behalf, in our place, for our sin. Jesus is the God who came to us from heaven to earth to make his place among us and not just to live with us, but to die for us, to defeat death for us, that we might live eternally with him beginning right now. Jesus is the God who comes to us. He's already paid the price of delivery. Will you prepare the way for him? Let's pray together. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you that you come to us today with words of comfort, not of condemnation. We thank you that you come to us today to be with us in our wilderness, to transform the wilderness for your glory. We thank you that you come to us to transform our lives, that they might speak of your goodness, that they might tell your story, that others might see and hear and also put their trust in you and come to faith in you. Lord Jesus, continue to help us to prepare the way for you, that we would that we would reach out our hands to you in faith, hope, and love, knowing that you are the God who's come to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.